Go Team Venture. I'm your host, Justin Blomquist, and this is the show where once a week we go through another episode of The Venture Brothers. Each week I have a guest on the show to discuss the episode in full, and I'm so excited to welcome back today's guest. He resembles the Mighty Monarch. He helps edit the Venture Wiki. He takes amazing notes that I'll be borrowing from heavily this week. Please welcome back to the show, Andrew Schwartz. Go Team Venture! Yeah, hi. And may the Schwartz be with you. And with you as well. <laughs> uh, but thank you again so much for joining me. And yeah, uh, Andrew gave me a break this week. He gave me his notes the other day, and I was like, you know what? I don't even need to take notes. These are amazing. So thank you, Andrew, and for giving me a day off this week. <laughs> no problem, man. Thanks. This week, we are discussing season six, the official episode three, Faking Miracles, written by Jackson Public. Original air date, February 14th, 2016, a Valentine's Day episode. And then uh, that reminds me of when I turned 25. I had never done the math before. And I was like, you know, oh, I'm, it's my birthday today. And my friend went, oh, nine months ago. Oh, that's Valentine's Day. You're a Valentine's baby. And I went, oh, no. Uh, my dad's <laughs> birthday is the day before Valentine's Day. So I think I may have been dad's birthday sex. Probably. And you've been a guest on the show before, so we can skip your venture history. But as is tradition, I do ask if you could give a teaser of what's happening this week on The Venture Brothers. I would love to. Nothing is quite as it seems as various characters manifest their desires through less than straightforward means. Rusty, with Billy and Pete's help, uses his dead brother's nanobot to facilitate Dean's admission to Stuyvesant University. Hank employs all his charms to eventually finagle a date with the daughter of his father's arch enemy, and swinging supervillain Copycat manipulates both the monarchs to further his personal ambitions within the guild. Love it, love it. I also always read the IMDb plot summary. Doc discovers a mysterious invention that could make or break Dean's chances of getting into college, while the monarch makes a bad first impression on Dr. Mrs. the Monarch's co-workers. But I like your submission much better, <laughs> because it <laughs> sounds more intriguing the way you put it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of crazy stuff happening. One of the notes from the book that I found was Jackson was like, this was such fun to write because I had to like bring together five different storylines and make it all happen into one thing. And it's like, you know, the monarch's doing this, but it ties into what she was doing. And then, you know, this is tied into that. And, how does, and it was just very cool. He said it was his favorite episode to write. It's just so much setup for the rest of the season. Yes. And I, I love the introduction of copycat. And they yeah. even say in the book, uh, Jackson said, you know, I have, I have an idea to bring him back. I, I'm not going to say what it is right now, but we know later on it's that heist where he is, you know, hiding himself amongst the team. You only see him for a split second in, in uh, All This in Gargantua 2 and he doesn't talk or anything. So when you hear Toby Huss voicing him and you get that, they describe him in the DVD commentary as an absolute madman. And they've said that before when he's doing General Traster's voice, that just how, how amazing he can be in the, the booth and they just have so much they have to cut out, but they want to put in the DVD extras because he just does a million ad-lib takes i can believe it toby huss is amazing uh he's one of the reasons why i like the movie mikhail's navy which isn't even a good movie or no no sorry uh down periscope Periscope down yes yeah because well, yes. he's he's in that and Patton Oswalt's in that but like he is like a running gag in there because he's like the electrical guy of the submarine and he keeps like connecting the wires like with his body <laughs> yes yeah. but the entire time he keeps doing the crooner thing that he was always doing on mtv because for, do you remember when he did like the Brothers Grunt theme song and, and like they used to do all these MTV ads in the 90s, like station identifications? Unfortunately, would... I didn't have cable in the 90s. I didn't have cable till college. Ah, 
Okay, well, that's, that's where I first saw... No, that's a lie. The first time I saw him was in The Adventures of Pete and Pete, where he played Artie, the strongest man in the world. That's something I, like, again, didn't know growing up. Kids would say, you look like one of the Pete and Pete's, is what I was told like, my celebrity looked like was the older Pete. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Okay. <laughs> I, I grew up with that show as well, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he, he was their personal superhero in just like a blue and red striped shirt. And he just looks like a nerdy guy with glasses. And yet everybody pretended like he had giant muscles or something. He's just a nerdy guy in a tight shirt. I've seen uh, clips of it now. And yeah, he's very funny. It's just like, just, he's being overly dramatic. He's very miming. He's just, but, but he, he's just so wholesome about it all as well. He's just, he wants to protect the kids and he's just there and the kids look up to him. And there's not much more to him than that. <laughs> I remember too, he was on an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine kind of was like mesmerized by him. Like he would smile and like there was this twinkle in his eye. He was so kind of mesmerizing. <laughs> and then she realized why he was mesmerizing was because he was a commercial figure for like a, a furniture store called, you know, The Wiz. I'm The Wiz oh, and yeah. nobody beats me. <laughs> on, on, on the, uh, the outfit and everything, right? For the commercial? Or? Yes. It was like a, like a crown and a cape and stuff. Yeah. So in, in the 90s, he used to do station identifications for MTV. Uh, Donald Logue used to do stuff as well, but he would do stuff where he was the crooner in like a dark room doing like a wannabe rat pack kind of guy. Okay, just, cool. Just do, doing like, he's a cool like wannabe Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin kind of guy. And, and he would do stuff that like would be a pop song at the time, but he'd try to turn it into a, a, a crooner like, like bow, wow, wow, yippee yo, yippee yay, stupid dog in the motherfucking hi-os. That's funny. Yeah, it's high like that. Why does he do that? It sounds silly. You, Jeremy is one of the commercials they would do on MTV. Jeremy spoke in class today. That crazy kid. Jeremy spoke in yesterday. That kook, that nut. Jeremy speaking all over the place. Kooky boy with that kooky thing that he's doing. You can't shut him up. Nah. All right, oh, nothing. God. That's fantastic. <laughs> that kooky kid, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good at changing the tone of all the stuff that he was saying. Uh, but yeah, so the episode opens with this fantastic kind of flashback to an old Dr. Venture and old Team Venture, you know, thing where they're trapped on Spider-Skull Island by Scaramantula, also voiced by Tony H- Toby Huss, and they're in some giant mechanical spider web with a giant mechanical spider, and he says something, you know, about his Italian spiders, and then Colonel Gentleman gives some dig about, you know, oh, I hope it's uh, better than your uh, Fiat's because I guess Fiat made a car called the Spider and I guess they were not very good. Yeah, in, in 1960s, they started making the Fiat Spider. I mean, the Italian Spider Bots, if they're an engineer or anything like a Fiat, we have not to worry about. I can't do it. <laughs> Italian Spider Bots, if they're engineered anything like your Fiat, we've got nothing to worry about. Much better. And then, yes, as they're kind of in over their head, coming crashing through the eye of the Spider Skull Island is the Blue Morphos car, which is. I love this thing too. Like you hear tires screeching outside and then it like leaps through the window, but it's like, there's no roads out there. How is it leaping? How is it screeching its tires on pavement outside the window? Yeah. Because clearly the car can fly, but there's nothing to screech on. Like that makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. And it doesn't come through with its windows, with, with door, it's gulping doors open. So it's not in flying mode when it crashes. But I mean, again, it's a, it's a thing we find out later. It does fly like the DeLorean. Yeah, but they don't establish that until like the next season of the episode, uh, the next, so what is it, the rapacity? I think, I think it's Tanks for Nothing is where we find out it can fly. That's when it is, when they're yeah. in the garage, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, the Blue Morpho saves the day. He's very obviously a uh, reference to the Green Hornet from the uh, 66 and 67 TV series. And he's Paul F. Tompkins! Yes, uh, Paul F. Tompkins is the best. Yes, Mr. Show, Comedy Bang Bang, yay. Uh, he's also a lot on, uh, you ever listened to Doug Love's Movies podcast? Yeah. 
He's yeah, often, often in uh, in character though. He does a uh, I'm so Stephen Sondheim. Hello. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he does all those characters on on Comedy Bang Bang. He's been doing that for over a decade. It's amazing. He does so many different voices, like Bernard Herzog and, and Andrew Lloyd Webber and, and Cake Boss. Uh, made up character yeah cake box I'm <laughs> i always just love werner herzog and like he's like you know so werner what's this well it was a time where we were climbing the mountain up oh, from fitzcarraldo yes brings back to the mount the don fitzcarraldo the blue morpho yeah there you go he comes in and he's got his partner kano which we then as they say in the thing like you know that chinaman's got some gusto we need to get us one of them dynamite and then, yes, they're like, we learn later on, he does join Team Venture. Yes, he said, I got to get one of those, and he does get them. Oh, can, can I bring up a, an Easter egg from Scaramanga? Or Scaramanga? Oh, please. Okay, this is just a minor thing that I noticed. I, don't, I think it's just an animation shorthand. He talks about how he's drinking this Monfortino and how it's this nice 1947 Monfortino, precocious. And then for the rest of these, the show, season six and seven, whenever you see a bottle of wine, it's going to be that bottle of Monfortino. <laughs> <laughs> They bring it back in, in tanks for nothing, like in Vincenzo's, he's like, Hank is pouring a glass of it for Wide Whale. And then next season in the Terminus Mandate, when they go back to Vincenzo's again, and it's like Dr. Mrs. the Monarch and, and Red Death, they're drinking that same bottle of Monfortino and Red Death is like, this is interesting. Is that the episode where we meet Blind Rage or is that yeah. next season? That's next season, Blind Rage. Oh, yeah. Blind Rage is such a great Daredevil parody. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He's such an asshole. Yes. <laughs> there could be an in-character, like an in-story reason, but I think it could be like, actually on the, on the DVD commentary for this episode, later we see the Monarch in his underwear. And one of the guys, either Jackson Public or Doc Hammer, is like, Monarch only has one pair of underwear, doesn't he? And the other one's just like, well, we made one character model and we're not going to make another one. So. I love this little exchange because it's just like you understand right away the kind of person the Blue Morpho is. Well, if it isn't the Blue Morpho, if you think you can just waltz in here and muscle in your, on my racket, you have another thing coming. And then he gets a dart in the neck. It's another think coming. God! <laughs> <laughs> uh, man after my own heart. Yep, that's correct. It is another thing coming. <laughs> You're so petty about that. It's great. Yes, it's the, the grammar Nazi. It's another think <laughs> coming. <laughs> Thank you, Paula Tompkins. You're correct. <laughs> And then, yes, we see that the Henchman 21 is telling this story to the monarch as he's reading an old uh, Venture, like a Dr. Venture comic book. And he's like, you know, uh, this was a, a guest series. And he came back another time when they were fighting uh, uh, L. L. Ron Hubbard, which we saw in Spanakopita. Yes. Uh, because he was there on the boat heading towards Jackie O's wedding. Correct. Yeah, we see him, him and his wife at the very beginning. Even though we don't get to see Dr. Uh, the Blue Morpho in the actual fight scene. Before yeah, he... which would be great. Like, I love if he would swoop in somehow. And then, as uh, you wrote in the notes, the Batman uh, cave of 1960s Batman oh, is awesome. very much the reference for their underground cave here, as far as the, the big the computer and everything. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's horribly irresponsible that the, the two parents uh, were at that wedding of Jackie O, since, like, Malcolm would have just been born. And so she's like, hey, screw it. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe... Malcolm was on the boat with Rusty. He was just somewhere else. We never, we never see that. But yeah, exactly. Malcolm was born in September. This was a wedding in October of 1968. He's like a month old. And his parents were like, right, we're going after party. I guess I didn't realize that Rusty was that much older than Malcolm. Because Rusty is yeah. like a little like six-year-old kid in that episode. Uh, Rusty was born in 1960. 
Um, you can see in the first in the episode Careers in Science, the actual like film strip at the beginning, copyright 1971, Rusty's 10 years old in that. So he would have born like 60 or 61 at that okay. point. You have other things like when they show the Boys Brigade picture, uh, and it's like Boys Brigade 1966. There's in the background, you see the statue of Dr. Jonas uh, Sr. holding Rusty as a little kid. And Rusty's already like five or six years old on that statue. Okay. Uh, and again, so like, I, I never really did the math of how old he was when the show started. But I guess, yeah, we knew he was like his early 40s in 2004. So, yeah. Years on like, you know, online, basically, where people argue about all this stuff and you just get irritated with it. And so I said, I'm just going to sit down and do the math one day. And I made a timeline and put it on the Venture Wiki. And I was like, here, everything is footnoted and cited. Here's all the episodes, all these dates came from. This is how you can tell who, like, when these things happen. Still, a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. But it's, yeah, it's yeah. The best like, thing you can do with what they gave us for dates, you know? Like, if he really is six years older than Malcolm, how were they in college together? But then Rusty's, you know, probably didn't go to school right away. Maybe he didn't go to college till he was, like, 22. Because well, also, remember, Rusty's a clone. Rusty lost a bunch of years from being cloned. So he would have died and then gotten born again. Because that already happened with Hank and Dean. And Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. So uh, Malcolm would have born in, in, in uh, September 1968. And the two of them were in college in the 1980s. Uh, 1987 is the year that the, um, the movie massacre happens. And that's when, like, they, they when you're showing, like, the, the school days years, it's 87 is when it's happening. See, I thought I figured out in the math of doing that, that they were going to school in, like, 83 because they referenced Return of the Jedi as being fairly new. I always figured uh, Rusty was going to school know. in the early 80s. But I, I don't be wrong. I don't know if they were really sure about it until season seven. And thankfully, you were nice enough to let me come back to do Arrears in Science, where they're going to actually give us those dates. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, because they talk about the, the movie Matt and I Massacre happens in April of 1987. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, when did the hell the Sharky's machine come out? Yeah, and then they show it in the heads-up display. The like, uh, Venturian has like a like a Vendetta has like a RoboCop style heads-up display, and it, it keeps having the date in the corner. And it has that for like two or three key instances in that episode that we'll see. We're getting way way ahead of ourselves. I'm sorry. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just I, we're discussing the blue morpho, and that brings up all of that stuff. It is because this is where we finally get him introduced. Because the very first time we saw him was back in Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman when they have that key party. Like he's yeah. in the background, but he doesn't have a mustache yet. He doesn't have, a, he doesn't talk. Like Paula Tompkins isn't going to do a voice yet. They didn't have, yeah, I don't he, think they had much in the way of backstory for him. They planned. really just had a guy who looked like the Green Hornet, but they made him blue instead. They just like yeah. put him in the background. We'll exactly. later. My father wasn't a superhero, as you so-called say. He was a socialite who collected butterflies. And 21's like, that's like the number one thing <laughs> of superheroes the rich guys with too much time on their hands and yes he collected butterflies guess what a blue morpho is a freaking butterfly you idiot <laughs> he's like i didn't know that <laughs> did the blue morpho ever have his own comic book uh after six uh, they cut they canceled it not kirby's best work oh uh, which at the time that's understandable jack kirby would have been way overloaded at the time he, he was doing so many different uh comics yeah, and then I don't know. I don't know it off of my history, but like I know that he was with Marvel for a long time, and then it felt like you know he was being taken advantage of. Then he moved to DC. Yeah, but he didn't move to DC until nineteen seventy, and this would have still been in the sixties, so he would have still been working with, at Marvel at the time. Yeah, just come on, give me that silver surfer. So we're, so we're smoking a J, you see, and I yeah. say, hey, that guy looks silver, and he's surfing. <laughs> 
Sorry, that's a that's a riff taken from the We Hate Movies guys. They always do the, uh, hey, I was smoking a J and I said, hey, there's a spider on that man. Say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love the old like like Kirby Lee stuff, but it is very, very hokey. Uh, I recently just went back and reread all the 1960s X-Men stuff. And yeah, a lot of the ways they especially cheap Jean, like, hey, let's just have her wash up after everybody else. And let's have her cooking for everybody. Like, okay. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. We see Brock and uh, Hank and Dean running in the park. Hank is asked, you know, can I take steroids to build up my body more? And Brock's like, no, Hank, uh, it's got to be, you know, hard work. And as you made a cool note, uh, you know, contrast to the action man who took Super Soldier Serum and uh, Search and Hatred, Brock obviously never did. He's just all natural, hardworking, yeah. muscle-building man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the Soldier X Serum had uh, unintended consequences when it mixed with the Namalastal. So uh, Brock dodged a bullet there that Sergeant Hatred yeah. Time to make all those little boys in your head go away. <laughs> I love that Dean, when he's like jogging along, like trying to keep up with, with Hank and Brock, is wearing dress shoes. Yes. And then... <laughs> Why are you wearing shoes, Dean? And then Hank's letting you know, hey, your shoes are inside. Made you look like, uh, Hank, that only works if their shoes actually not untied. <laughs> <laughs> Brock gets some water for Dean as a... Almost guy in the background? Oh, yes. Yeah, the homeless guy with the tinfoil hat. You saw in the book what he, what he said about it, right? Yeah, they had plans of like having some total side story where like that guy was going to become important. I, don't, I didn't write down what the story was going to be, but just that they had an idea for him. That's the thing. Like in the book and in the DVD commentary, he teases it both. Like where he's like, oh, I wrote like eight pages of story for this guy and it's definitely going to be in the next season. And then he didn't show up in season seven. Yeah. So the only thing that I've seen amongst like fans about that is that that some of them have been like maybe he's scare bearer, but people expect everybody to be scare bearer. So yeah, I, I mean they they have to reveal who saved Hank. Truly, like they can't not reveal scare bear. I feel there's like that's something they have to do. I mean, like there's been a lot of fans like begging for it, but it might be one of the things they just don't care about. But definitely, fans have, have talked about that. Uh, one of the biggest theories that I've seen has been the one that it's the mother. And that, like, since the story is going to be the mother, maybe the mother showed up to do that. Other ones that people came up with was, like, it's a time-traveling Hank or Dean. And, like, maybe they somehow got the, the, the presidential time machine from uh, Grover Cleveland. And Hank went back and saved himself somehow, even though there's a huge height disparity. So he'd have to be wearing, like, foot lifts, lifts or something like that. It, it, I, don't, I don't buy the, the time-traveling theory. I don't think it makes sense. I just thought of a fun thing, but they're they're dead. I was just say it's the Moppets, but they're dead. <laughs> that's actually what people have said. They're standing on top of each other. No. Uh, and then, like honestly, that's that's the Scare Bear fan theories is the thing that I've seen like probably the most of on on like uh, fan forums, Reddit, Facebook, whatever. Just so many speculation to the point where on the wiki we have like a whole long, long section of here's people that have been seen in a scene with Scare Bear at the same time. So they are probably not Scare Bear. <laughs> Well, people, and then, like, this person was incarcerated while scared, like, like Teddy, the talk to me guy, was in Dunwich the entire time Scare Bear was out in New York uh, in season four. Like, pretty much anybody you can think of in the Venture universe, somebody suggested they're Scare Bear. I even heard someone else say it's probably like a, another Hank, like the mother is off somewhere raising another Hank and Dean that she got to keep for herself while Doc that's, then that clo another, clone yeah, that's them. And, like, and it's another, it's that other Hank that's like watching over him. Well, some people have said uh, that it is the original real Hank and Dean because it, there was a throwaway line in, I think, like season one or two. Uh, I, think, I think it was season two, episode one, where uh, Dr. Orpheus is asking Dr. Venture, like, like, where do these boys come from, these clones? He's like, oh, I cloned them from their toenail clippings. 
You're like, wait, what? So there's like literally it was just toenail clippings that you had. Then the original boys could have like gone off with the mother somewhere. Yeah, they could probably have. not. Since she wanted to get the hell away from Rusty, it seemed. But maybe I don't know. Who wouldn't want to? He's a nightmare. Uh, but yeah. yeah. So while uh, Dean's getting some water with Brock, uh, Hank sees that girl he was trying to save last week from drowning, and he starts running behind her uh, to catch up and talk to her. But uh, someone comes to up behind him. It's a couple of these whale lice that are the <laughs> bodyguards for Serena Ong, uh, who we learn is the daughter of Chester Wide Ong, Wide Whale. I, I, I couldn't remember his first name. Chester, yes. Chester Ong, Wide Whale, brother yeah, to Doctor. Not, not Douglas Ong. Yeah, Doug Ong, we'll find out later on. And then yeah, there was a note too that like uh, I never really caught it because it's a really slight little thing at the end uh, when after the monarch's been caught, you know, over at Rusty's place, uh-huh. uh, Copycat gives kind of a, like a wink to Wide Whale, like cheers. And Wide Whale kind of smiles, but like I never really caught that, that yes, he was doing that kind of under Wide Whale's orders. Really? I never noticed that either. They mentioned it in the book that like, here, let me just go to my notes because it's... it's I know, note- I, I've read the book like three times. How did I forget that? Yeah, note from the book. Clearly, there is some winking communication going on between Copycat and Wide Whale. I was like, clearly, I, I didn't... I, I didn't catch that at all. And so I had to like really look for it. It's right after like Sheila walks away. He is leaning against the uh, thing. And he kind of like raises a glass of like his martini to Wide Whale like, do what you asked me to. Um, but oh. Wide Whale doesn't really respond. But I guess that's... They were trying to make it clear that Wide Whale throughout the whole season is trying to mess with the monarch because he knows he killed his brother. So uh, they said in the book, um, there's a weak communication between Wide Whale and Copycat. Wide Whale obviously said at some point, fuck with this guy. And so there's supposed to be this like subtle thing throughout the season of Wide Whale slowly trying to just keep fucking with the monarch in all these little ways until they can finally say, okay, I've been messing with you enough. Here's why I'm so pissed. You killed my brother, you son of a bitch. That, that is definitely the case. And that's, that adds something. Because when I first saw in like Hostile Makeover, the reason that, that Wide Whale is like, I'm going to fuck with this guy across the way, this Dr. Venture, I want him to be my adversary. Because Dr. Venture just flown by with his supersonic jet and blown out all his windows. And mm-hmm. you're just like, all right, it could be that simple and that petty. I'm like, no, it adds a much deeper layer if he's like, yeah, I hate this guy because he was a dick to me. But I'm also going to be doing this specifically to stick it to the monarch because I like, fuck the monarch for killing my brother. Yeah, so that's, that's so again, much more layered, and yeah, we don't even know that until the end of the season, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the the Chester Ong thing was, was like a little bit of a, of a foreshadowing, but in, but but they always just keep calling him Wide Whale, so you never think about it again. Yeah, because nobody calls him Chester. No <laughs> the flashbacks, and then uh, yeah, so then as Hank's getting chased around by these guys, the next we see he's being tasered by them with their big harpoon things. What does he say? Don't harpoon tase me, bro. <laughs> I went to the University of Florida. I had just left the school when that, the incident happened where they tased a kid at, at uh, this Q&A because he's asking John Kerry questions about being in the Skull and Bones Society. And like, he wouldn't stop asking annoying questions and the security's trying to take him out. And then like six cops held him down while another dude tased him. Yeah, don't tase me, bro. There's a video. And then I never have seen that movie Skull and Bones, but I have... <laughs> I have seen The Good Shepherd uh, yeah. with Matt Damon and apparently like that uh, scene where like, you know, you have to get in the coffin and you have to like jerk off in front of us and like, we're all going to watch you do it. Apparently like uh, George Bush Jr. did that and his dad was in the room when it happened. And it's just, uh, I believe it. 
like yeah that's fucked up shit but that's also like we have leverage on you now we can we hold this against you because we all did this too kind of thing and so it's just a weird cult thing it's it's a thing for 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 psychological power that makes perfect sense to me it's it's horrifying but it makes perfect sense i'm like yeah that's definitely something you do if you want to indoctrinate somebody and then control them Mm -hmm. and then Uh, use them to do the same and perpetuate that same system uh, i've been watching many documentaries about cults and i'm just like god who are these people who got suckered into this shit jesus christ i, I used to have a roommate uh who lived in guyana where the uh, the jonestown massacre took place oh wow yeah but yeah i just recently uh watched the season two of tiger king that's all about uh doc what's his face and how he's like you know studied at that place and then started his own cult and like you know as like all these women who provide sex to him and how he remains powerful because of it and it's just it's like wow 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 sounds like bhagwan ranish yes he, he learned he learned from bhagwan he learned directly from bhagwan and then made his own thing okay yeah that was part of it he's like master of the vagina or something like that it's like some ridiculously literal name like, <laughs> something like that i don't remember now this is a uh, right. we see uh, Rocco oh, being yeah over- Rocco and the whale life yeah over being overprotective of Serena, and then uh yeah, we need to say Serena is voiced by Kristen uh, I'm not sure how you say it Miliati Miliati she's great they they had said that uh, when they asked her to do recording about Rocco they were like okay we need you to pretend that this guy just completely skeezes you out you can't stand him he's been watching over your entire life and he's like overprotective to the point of like he has a crush on you and it creeps you out. And she's like, oh, yeah, I got it. And then she just went in the booth and just, like, unloaded. And, you know, just chef's kiss. Wonderful. Uh, and I, I first became familiar with her when she was a guest on 30 Rock, where it was the episode where, like, they hired a, a new hip female writer to be on TGS. And she's basically playing Sarah Silverman, yeah. Yeah, but, but she came in also playing, like, Jenny McCarthy at first because she's, like, putting on this, like, blonde wig with, like, pigtails yeah. and has her boobs up. And she's... Doing this very sexy baby voice, and I, I yeah. always I love this line because I something I used to say with my ex girlfriend all the time, you know, and stop it with the fake baby, sexy baby thing. I don't know, Liz. I'm a very sexy baby. <laughs> <laughs> but then in the end, you find out that she's like putting it on, right? Because like a bunch of people have like stalked her and stuff in the past, and she yeah. hangs out with guys because they protect her. And exactly, yeah. She she's like, I was hanging out with writers because I feel more comfortable around men who are like weak and i can like not feel endangered by them yeah <laughs> it's a great yeah that's that's how i first came to know who she was and she's fantastic yeah yes she is for for a show that has very little uh female involvement by comparison they've had some very good voice actresses yeah her and kate mckinnon absolutely slam and like they yes they have and such oh yeah and but yeah Paget doesn't have as much variety to her voice i will say uh, like Kate and Christy, Kristen do, but yeah. I do love when Badgett shows up because I have had a huge crush on her ever since she was uh, Joey's girlfriend on Friends. I think you said that on the show before. <laughs> probably, probably so, probably so. <laughs> I, I, I was like 13 when that came out. She was oh, so yeah. attractive. Uh, yeah, and I, I just, Kate McKinnon has been amazing because she's been on the show since before she was on SNL, and it's amazing they were still even able to get her through season six. Yeah. Season seven. But at the same time, like, I guess she was like, you know, hey, yeah, I, I love doing your show. Let's keep doing. So, yeah. And she's, yeah, still, and she's still in New York. So that makes sense, too. They like working with her, yeah. people who are in New York. So she's still yeah, there. That's doing. Why they were able to get Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live also. And mm-hmm. uh, what's from Saturday Night Live that they have? It's Tim Meadows, but there was one episode. Yeah. And he was, you know, not on the show anymore. <laughs> but yes, uh, to protect Hank, Brock quickly gets involved with the werelice and kills two of them. 
Dante and Torrio. They didn't make it. <laughs> now we see uh, Rusty, Pete, Billy, and uh, the pirate captain being shown their new space where uh, JJ had not really done much kind of uh, research and development, but if he did, it was going to be on this floor. I guess it's kind of a basement area because we see yeah, that there's a big hole above them and that is the lobby. They see, yeah, they said that they had made it like an archive section because once the uh, like consumer electronics took off, he's like, oh, all this cool super science stuff that he was working on, you just kind of filed it away in these shelves instead and nobody's touched it. So everything's squeaky clean and ready for Rusty to use. Yeah, ready for Rusty to steal and put his name on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the cool first thing that, that uh, he gets shown? Uh, so it's this car, which I, you pointed out to me, I didn't know it was this actual thing. It's also mentioned on the wiki, but I'm sure maybe you added that to the wiki. I don't know. Uh, but it's this GoPod based on an actual concept car from the Chinese division of the German automaker Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah. They, they had a people's car project thing where like people could submit their stuff. And I think it was like a teenage girl in China said, I want a car that looks like this and floats. And they just... They created a, a spec design, and then they made a video with a bunch of 3D effects, or like, like, like special effects that would make it look like this floating car. As far as I know, they've never actually been able to build the vehicle. I don't even know if it's possible, but uh, they put this video out in like 2011, and the GoPod is almost identical to it. Oh yeah, even like the controller for it that you see, like the little like sphere that looks like the ship itself that you push forward and tilt and stuff, that's exactly what's in the commercial, it's amazing. Yeah, if you can look it up on YouTube, folks. I'm not going to say the whole URL or whatever, but you can find it on YouTube pretty easily if you do a search for the like People's Car Project Volkswagen 2011. Yeah, but uh, Rusty's like, okay, that's great. Why don't we just put that into, uh, you know, into manufacturing? And Pirate Captain's like, well, it causes heart murmurs and, inst and uh, sterility in Remus <laughs> monkeys, so I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> and she don't stop so good. <laughs> yes, and then Billy crashes it through a wall. <laughs> which Hank somehow then sees, he's like, you know, oh, cool car, Billy. Uh, and then it, we then see later on, he kind of takes it over as his own, own car. Yeah, I was a little confused by that layout because they're like, wait, all right, so they have the, they're in a basement area. He goes through into an adjoining room and then they're looking up into the lobby. It just seems like the underground area of the Ventec Tower is even bigger than the footprint of the building itself. Who's to say? Probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably is. Super science. It goes on for miles underground. That'd be cool. Yeah, she don't stop so good. Now we're over in Wide Whale's uh, penthouse once again. He's hosting a Guild of Calamitous Intent meeting where they're all kind of all deciding, you know, okay, who's another member we want to include, uh, you know. Oh, but wait, why are, they, why are they doing that? Oh, because they're still trying to rebuild the Guild. They, have, they only have but, seven members. But because, like, a like, uh, council member has been missing since Bot Seek Spot. Oh yes, Vendata. They can't. They can't find Vendata. If if he ever shows up again, we'll give him a seat. But until he shows up, we got to find more people. Yes, and that is going to be critical, of course, later because we're going to find out who Vendata is. Oh, so good. <laughs> when that reveal happened, I was I was like, I was screaming. I'm sure I was. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, because they they did a really good job of foreshadowing it in Botsy's spot when when like Vendata's all broken up. He's like like. Is my wife the plane is going down? Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, that's probably nothing. Oh, no, that's something. It's something. Uh, but yes, they're going to invite Phineas Phage to return to the council, whichever one agrees upon. Uh, but Sheila is a little distracted. She's been trying to call her husband and he isn't answering. Phage also goes, I think, this season from being Bill Hader to being James Adomian, right? 
Yes, uh, because Bill couldn't make it back for some reason. He, he'd already like permanently moved to LA and just wasn't able to come back. Yeah. James Adomian is great voice work. I'm, I was really happy with the addition to the cast. No, me too. I, I, again, love him from Doug Loves Movies, where he does uh, Jesse the Body Ventura and other characters, but Jesse's always the favorite when he shows up. <laughs> Two of his characters that he already does, he does on the Venture Brothers, basically. He did Jesse the Ventura is for, for the, the creep, Mission Creep, and then he does yeah. his Barney Sanders to do the, uh, the Sensei Finkelstein character. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. Yeah, we're, we're back at the, the meeting and then Serena comes in and then interrupts this being chased by Rocco. I'm fine, dog. Rocco. And she's telling him like, he's falling around like a fucking puppy dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please excuse me. We're celebrating my daughter's 18th birthday party. It's a special day. And then, yes, it's a kind of a nod to, you know, this is the day of my daughter's wedding. Exactly. From the it's very godfather thing. Wide Whale asks uh, Badul to show the council where they can all change for the evening wear because they're not supposed to be in their costumes for this. This is going to be a legitimate party with regulars around, so they need to just look like actual people. And uh, this is where Rocco tells Wild Whale that uh, the two whale lifestyle in Ontario didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, this kid got a little too friendly with Serena, so we got a little unfriendly with him. Must have been some kid. <laughs> And then, uh, okay, yeah, we get we go back to the uh, the Morpho Cave, and the Monarch is all like super excited uh, because he's like, "This is great! We get to play all this stuff." They come out of the cave, and the Monarch looks at his phone, and all of a sudden, it's just blown up with a million notifications. Yeah, and his, he's his just wife's like, been texting, 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 calling. Finally, yeah, but he was in the basement. And he gets no signal. And I just love that. It's like, oh yes. shit, <laughs> because they weren't planning for cell signals back when they built this in the sixties. No, and then uh, I'm. She calls him again immediately. He has to answer like, hi, honey. Oh, I was in the shower. I couldn't hear all the messages. Yeah, she's like, oh, perfect. You're supposed to be showering because you're supposed to be getting ready for this party. Uh, I, I don't want to go to that. I was like, why? Because I hate those people. <laughs> but then, yeah, 21's like, no, no, dude, dude, you have to go. We have to like get more information on those people on that list. Like, They're all going to be there. Just like take some notes, do some recon, find out what they, what they know. He's like, yeah, okay, that's a great idea. Fine, I'll do that. She says he has to bring some wine. He's like, I should piss in it. There's the old monarch charm. <laughs> Pete, Billy, and Rusty kind of going through JJ's old files in the new lab. They discover a bunch of new stuff like the uh, Ventec Deep Earth Mining Mech, which looks like the loaders from Aliens that, uh, you know, get away from her, you bitch. 100%. Oh, it's so cool. Later ripped off an avatar. We are the robots. <laughs> uh, I've seen Kraftwerk before. I've seen them do the robots on stage. They, they have these animatronics that they've had for decades that they'll like wheel out for part of their show. Oh, cool. Very yeah. uh, spinal tap. <laughs> Kraftwerk is awesome. They're just ancient now, but they're still a wonderful show. I just always think of uh, the Big Lebowski and uh, that uh, the, the fake German band from there because they talk about how they're kind of like Kraftwerk esque, and even the cover of their artwork is supposed to be like a reference of like a Kraftwerk uh, album cover. Yeah, um, I can see that just because they've been so influential since the seventies. Like, yeah, I'm just trying to remember the name of that fake group. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I can't remember. I should know. Uh, I love the Golden Boys. No, I know. I, my, my buddy and I are doing the Big Lebowski in our next season of Formative Films. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I need to start doing research on that. But I'm like, oh, but I should know that name off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's a big cast. 
And then Billy's like, you know, why are we just going through all of your brother's stuff? Shouldn't we just bake our own things? And, you know, I feel like a, a patent clerk here. And yeah, before you can say it, I know Einstein was a patent clerk. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty's like, all ready to like get that in there. Like, nope, shuts him down before he can say anything. Oh, yeah, I love that Rusty too. Like, you know, refile that mech thing under murder bot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then uh, they, they do find a, a silver vial of liquid which drops and cracks on the floor. That's coming out of your next paycheck. Yes. <laughs> and I love the way it, it looked kind of like Mercury, but then it moves around and it, it moves like something out of a, uh, like a Sam Raimi movie to me, the way they did like the POV cam. And th they actually said in the, the DVD commentary, they were like, we didn't even expect them to do such an awesome job with, with like the, the animation of POV of, of the liquid going up the column and going into the vents and everything. Uh, we, we kind of wrote something out for them and they just, Wow, they, they really took it to town. Because to me, it reminds me of like when the arms come alive in Spider-Man 2. Yeah, for sure. Or like when you're uh, uh, Ash's hand crawling along the floor of yeah. Evil Dead. Evil Dead, yeah. Uh, Evil Dead 2, yeah. Yeah, Evil Dead 2. Not the Evil Dead. But it made me, uh, I had to look this up. I was like, when did that Evil Dead remake come out? It was 2013. So, because when the bots do crawl up Dean's leg and go inside uh, his anus, it reminded me of that Evil Dead remake of when the girl's like tangled up inside the tree. It's, it's, uh -huh. the, it's the remake of the tree rape from the first Evil Dead, but it's done a yeah. little bit differently. But you see this like black slimy thing like kind of crawling up her leg. It reminded me very much of that same shot. With the nanobots, uh, the nanobots look like a lot of different things to me because it seems like an homage to a bunch of different sci-fi things. But but because Dean always throughout the show has been like associated with Spider-Man in the same way that that uh, Hank is associated with Batman, mm -hmm. to me it felt like this is Dean's Venom moment. That that he got uh, his symbiote that made him stronger and more powerful and smarter and all of this, and it moved like a symbiote, and then it really bonded with him. And so I, I don't know that. if that was intentional or not. I love that though. That's fantastic. Uh, and then two, like as far as like, yeah, being different things, it's like T-1000 is the liquid yeah. metal uh, coming up through the, the drain of the shower. It made me think of Ghostbusters 2 and the slime coming into yes. the tub. Yes, absolutely. The pink slime. Uh, I was just like, this is doing a bunch of things right now. I mean, it, maybe not even like trying to reference that Ghostbusters, but just it made me think of that. Dean, uh, you know, screams and Brock shows up on this interactive mirror, which again <laughs> made me think of Spaceballs, you know. This is an unlisted yeah, wall. <laughs> <laughs> and when she signals to, to him and he has to signal back and uncover uh, <laughs> And then, yes, uh, <laughs> Dean asks, you know, if Kandiru are native to New York. Uh, yes, call back to season one. Are you there, God? It's me, Dean. You will feel the dreaded Kandiru eating away at the soft, tissuey flesh of the inside of your penis. <laughs> uh, Naughty little fish. But uh, then kind of Dean, you know, asks Brock sheepishly, can you help me study for my uh, entry exams? When are they? Tomorrow. Morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yes, he, uh, he you know, yay, and raises his hands up. His, his towel drops and Brock gets a face full of Dean Bush. Uh, see, I'm sure you've seen way too many times before. And I should have said the, the alliteration. He gets a face of the Dean Dong. That's true. <laughs> I mean, he's spent enough time seeing them as clone forms. It probably doesn't even phase him anymore. No. Uh, let's see here. This is where Phantom Lim tells a couple of the uh, normal people at the party that his invisible forearms are because he lost it in the war. <laughs> Does it make... Okay, sure. Yeah, my, my, my plastic hand is see-through, see? 
Now, we're, uh, we're back at the party now, finally. We're with the, uh, the Phantom Limb is, is dressed in like a regular suit. He's trying to, to fit in. Yeah, no and mask. We, we see his hair and everything. Yeah, and we see uh, Redusa wearing a wig because we previously saw Redusa in the, in the last episode with like the head full of snakes. Like she looked like Medusa. But she's wearing like a Cleopatra wig almost and is yeah, the rest of it like Cleopatra. For this yeah. not being a Halloween costume or a costume party, she's very costumey. So it, it's still very much in keeping. I, I don't even know. That could be her costume because we saw her previously. She was wearing a bathrobe. I have no idea what her actual like villain costume is supposed to be. No, me neither. Um, there's like one episode where they show like the wide whale fiends and family plan. It's like a hierarchical tree of, of villains. I think it's just like a, like a headshot of her though. I don't think I know if you see the body at all. No, I don't think you do. Um, and then I, yeah, I love a uh, red mantle and dragoon are wearing a turtleneck and a blazer. And then there's just two heads. Double turtleneck. Yeah, d- double necked turtleneck. <laughs> yeah. But you know, they fit in now, like right now. No. And like, yeah, like it, 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 no matter that that man has two heads, he's wearing a yeah. turtleneck. It's fine. Yeah, well, he's not the, the renowned villain with two heads. He's just some guy with two heads. Yeah. You've seen that movie. It happens all the time. They made a sequel. It happens so often. <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, Dragoon and Red Mantle talk about how uh, Red Mantle had a, a thing with, or a fling with Redusa previously, and uh, Dragoon wants to help him out by being his winged man. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, so then this is where Copycat starts kind of making a move on Dr. Mrs. the Monarch, which she hates. But uh, yeah. he's, he's like, you know, I'm not even trying to hit on you because, uh, you know, you're single. I'm trying to get a seat on your council there, Lady, Lady Pie, or whatever he calls her. He's being very <laughs> Dean Martin. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't stop him. He's like, I'm not hitting on you while I'm clearly hitting on you. Like, he never stops hitting on her, even though it's really more about career ambitions than anything else. There's a bunch of different characters that, that have like the ability to make clones, but the one that I thought of first, yeah, was Jamie Madrox, Multiple Man from uh, X Factor Com and X Men. I always just remember he's in that uh, ter- that the worst X Men movie ever, X Men uh, Last Stand. Yeah. They have Multiple Man. Yeah, it's disappointing. There's a lot of good elements in that movie, but just overall, it's just badly written and put together. Yeah, um, but yes, I, I do like his when he snaps his fingers. He makes a little popping sound, and he makes a duplicate of himself. He's he copycats himself. They, they actually said in the DVD commentary that, that it took them a while to figure out what the sound effect was going to be when he when he does that, and they finally settled on the popping of champagne. And so, I like that. Yeah. So when he makes a little snapping sound, you hear like a little pop, and then you also see some champagne bubbles just kind of like float off of the top of him every time he does it. Yeah, whenever he duplicates himself, it's fantastic. Yeah, so rat back. And then uh, this is where Sheila then excuses herself to get some air because he's just being way too forward. You know, what are you drinking there, doll face? I'm waiting for my husband. Oh, where's he at? <laughs> she keeps mentioning over and over again her husband. And he's just not taking it. He does not care. Uh, we see Wide Whale stopping Serena from drinking some champagne. You're 18, honey, not 21. And she says that she just does not care about any of this. She doesn't want the, like a party with like frou-frou food and all this fanciness. Uh, she just wants a normal life. She's sick of having these butt-of-gots guards watching her all the time. We should mention when she's wearing the Marilyn Monroe white dress from The Seven Year Itch, the very yes. infamous one of the sewer grates blowing up. When I first moved to Chicago, uh, right at the top of Michigan Avenue, there was uh, like a 50-foot 
statue of Marilyn Monroe with her skirt getting blown up. It's since been removed, but it was there for a few years. He decides he's going to order Serena some of her favorite food from Vincenzo's Seafood and Pasta. Oh, and Vincenzo happens to have a new delivery boy. Yes, sir. And uh, so, yeah, it's like, you know, this is a very important client. You take this super fast. He's a very good client. I'm doing a terrible oh, racist accent. extra cheese and little clams. Yes, little clams. I, I've never had clams in a pizza, but I do love seafood. So I'm like, I'll, I'll try that. I kind of get the feeling they, they put in Vincenzo just so they could keep uh, Stephen Rattazzi around because they didn't have Dr. Orpheus this season and they still wanted to have him do some work. So they're like, hey, we got a character for you. Oh, I think it is orangutan also, yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like uh, Orpheus does not show up at all until at the very end of the season. But you don't really realize it because you're meeting so many new people. You kind of like forget that the triad's not around at all. Hank is going to deliver the pizza. He crashes into the bushes at the uh, tower because, of course, the thing can't stop. And I never noticed this really, but uh, the, the sculpture in front of uh, the tower is the world being held inside a giant hand. Someone wants to hold the whole world in his hand, control the power, of course, so they live at this Trump Tower. Well, uh, have you seen like the actual Trump uh, International uh, Tower and Hotel that it's based on? Like, no, I haven't. The, it has the globe in front and everything like that. It, 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 they did not change that much. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so Trump just is full. I think they just put like the clutching hand around the outset, but I think it's just a regular glo- gold globe in front of the original one. Okay, so, so the clutching hand is something they added. I was like, if Trump's, I got, a, so. if, say, if Trump's got a thing with a holding the earth in his hand, like, I'm like, wow, <laughs> what an asshole. No, I, I, I think he's not one for subtlety, but I don't even know if he would go that far. Like, definitely, like, the gold crap everywhere. Like, yeah, they did that. Like, black with, with gold. Uh, yeah, like, in the last gold. episode, uh, St. Cloud has a golden toilet, which Trump famously had. Yes. But they, they said they based uh, Tophet Tower specifically on Trump International, which is on Columbia Circle. It's right across from where the Venture Tower would be, which is, what is it, the Hearst Tower, I think it's based yeah. on? Yeah. On Columbus Circle, I mean, Columbus Circle. Yes, Hank gets to the tower, he walks in the elevator, and uh, the monarch enters trying to get to the elevator, but Hank is too nervous because he's like, oh, shit, the monarch, I shouldn't be here. And he doesn't stop the door, so what does the monarch do? Well, the monarch sticks the bottle of wine his, uh, his wife asked him to bring into the doors, and it just crushes the bottle. <laughs> Thanks it a does lot. keep the doors open. Yes. Yeah. Thanks a lot, dick. <laughs> yeah, and Hank is just covering his face with a pizza container, so the, the big soft box, the pizza boxes inside of so that uh, the monarch can't tell who he is. The monarch arrives at Whitewell's place and hands uh, Barnacle Badul the wet, leaking <laughs> wine bag. Just full of shattered glass. And just kind of barges <laughs> through wearing his costume, which he, he, I don't think he knows he's not supposed to be wearing. Like, did Sheila, I'm sure Sheila told him at some point, but he wasn't he, listening. He did not pay attention at all, but Badul is just like, sir, you cannot go in there, sir, stop, yeah. Well, and we also know from a previous episode, he doesn't really have any other clothes besides his monarch clothes. <laughs> Beaver Inspector t-shirt. Yeah, but Beaver Inspector and some high water pants. I, I love uh, Hank not understanding the abbreviation for Penthouse A is P-H-A, <laughs> as he says, is this apartment F? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so good. And then, uh, yes, he sees Serena and he gets so nervous he drops the pizza. Oh, the pizza, she is a piping hot. A <laughs> uh, meat cute, as they call. But I guess they've already had two of those. And then uh, this is where Rocco comes to the door and it's like, you know, who is it, Serena? You! And he, Hank, rather than running out the door, runs into the apartment <laughs> elsewhere and yeah. try and hide in the penthouse. 
course Hank would do that. So because he wants to have more shenanigans. He doesn't really want to escape. He wants to talk to Serena some more. Yeah. Okay, so this is where it happens. Monarch enters the party, and uh, we see off to the side uh, the former president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, standing there. It's and, so it's so weird to even hear him described as that. <laughs> yeah, but the the dude who is like a reality star who's been bankrupt a bunch of times and uh, is a grifter and whatnot, whatever. So they uh, they had said in the, in the DVD commentary and in the book. Never would have included him if they'd known he was going to be president. He wasn't running for president when they animated this episode. One of the later episodes, um, I, th- I want to say it was Party for Tarzan, they, they uh, did have him in there. And by that time, they knew he was going to be running for president. And they actually cut his scene out. Like, they cut him out. Because he was just a famous socialite. He was a dude who just shows up at all these parties. And, nothing yeah, and he's like New York famous. He's a guy yeah. who's famous for being from New York. So of Yeah, course- but you think of him as like a buffoon. Like the guy from like Home Alone 2 or something. They, they were in that kind of a cameo of him as opposed to the guy from <laughs> the... Capital riots got, you know. But at the same time, too, it, it's a bit of like, you know, they're also saying, you know, Donald Trump is this New York socialite, but he's also kind of a bad guy because guess what? His friends are these literal bad guys. And also, it could have just been that he was invited because there were tenants in his tower. Even yeah. Though this, which this is not technically Trump Tower. This is this is Toffet Tower, but. Which I thought about that, too. It made me think of when Orpheus is forced to always tell Rusty when he's having a party. Yes. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to be a tenant in my building. If you're having a party, I have to be informed of it. Otherwise, I cannot say no. And if I want to go and make up a scene, I will be there. But I need to know when you're having a party. Yes, yeah, so they, they really were upset that this got included. And they, they're like, this was not an endorsement. We're sorry that we did this. It's too late to change it, but whatever. It's, it's there. Uh, this does give me a, a chance to bring up that they've had a bunch of presidents on the show. Can, can I just, like, rattle them off? Or? Oh, please. <laughs> cool. Okay, so we've seen, of course, uh, Grover Cleveland's presidential time machine. Of course. Uh, in two different episodes, are either got its me, Dean, and then we'll see it next season in the forecast manufacturer, where it may end up being a plot point for something later, or it may have just been a throwaway gag. People uh, have been debating that. We've seen an amalgam of, of Bill Clinton and George W. Bush with President Breyer in season two. He, he had little bits of both of them in him. Uh, and guess who's coming to state dinner? Also, in guess who's coming to state dinner, we had the ghost of Abraham Lincoln who was a major plot point. Like, oh, all those hormones. <laughs> and he also remembered a certain uh, fast-handed young redhead who would stay in the Lincoln bed. <laughs> in Sa- Sergeant Hatred's home, in Home is Where the Hate Is, he's got a gigantic poster of Richard Nixon in his living room. <laughs> and we also know that Richard Nixon uh, had Dr. Kellinger work for him because mm-hmm. Dr. Kellinger talked about giving him his, his first power tie. Uh, so we never see Nixon other than those references, but... Uh, there we've got him. Let's see. Uh, JFK is referenced a few times because because Jonas Sr. used to hang out and Team Venture used to hang out with JFK. There's a picture of them shaking hands in the Museum of Jonas Venture in season three. And, uh, yeah, and Colonel Gentleman shares that story about, like, you know, we did this and such with Castro, then we went over to JFK's yeah. party. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Action Man and Brock were, like, like reminiscing about all this stuff. And JFK absolutely would have been that 60s era that, that was Jonas's heyday. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. In the Revenge Society, we had Lyndon B. Johnson, based off of Lyndon B. and Lady Bird Johnson, Lady Hawk Johnson. Yes. <laughs> and, and that that gentleman there is Mr. Lyndon B. <laughs> <laughs> so good, I love that. It's like a reference to Lady Hawk. It's like okay, sure the the movie. The, like, about- I know that that was such a great like it's a pun and it's a reference to like two things. It was so good. That was so clever. And it's uh, Lady Hawk too, which is not a really well known. A's movie. It's a great, no. it's a really fantastic movie if you've not seen it. 
Lady Hawk is really amazing. Uh, but it's just like, yeah, it's this obscure A's film that, you know, maybe people know it, maybe they don't. And if you don't know it, you're not going to get half of that joke. Yeah, but it's one of those things that, that Venture Brothers just pulls off so well, like these really obscure references that can still work on their face as, as funny. Like people will see that and like, this is just a funny premise. But then you're like, oh, that's where they got it from. Mm-hmm. And it's like two to three layers of it. Uh, so they say, okay, sorry. So season five, Teddy Talk to Me was in prison in Dunwich uh, Asylum because he had hugged President Reagan too hard. So we don't see Reagan, <laughs> but he is critical to Teddy's history. And then finally, uh, in, in Don Hell's and Botseek's Bot, uh, one of my favorite characters, Franklin Delano Disco, after Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the Saturday Night Fever outfit. One of my former guests has done several different cosplays, and uh, two of the ones that I specifically remember him saying he did were uh, uh, Purple Rose, which is also in Botseek's Bot. And more people of color! <laughs> and then he also did uh, Franklin Delano Disco at some point. <laughs> I love that one. It's such a great idea. God, I hate this place. I love this place. <laughs> so good. Okay, so, so yeah, so the monarch is in the party and he's looking around for his wife and that is not uh, sitting well with White Whale. No, this is the, my legitimate business associates. What are you doing? And then uh, Monarch points out the Barnacle Badu. He's like, that guy looks like that, right? It's like, that's his actual face. Unfortunately, know? no, this is my face. And you bear it with dignity, my friend. And then a copycat comes in quickly, like, you know, oh, hey, no worries, uh, Wide Whale. I, I got my papa right downstairs. I'll take Mr. Monarch here and make him look all spick and span for you. And if I remember correctly, Copycat's apartment is like 4444 or something like that. It's something where it, it's got like a duplicate. I can thing. believe it being like he would like insist on getting that, like in some part yeah. of the life. No, I can't live in 34, 32. It's got to be 34, 33. <laughs> or I'm, 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 I'm fucking it up. Yes, I'm fucking it up. Red mantle, getting a little action. <laughs> yes. Hot. This is hot. <laughs> Dragoon just commenting on it the whole time. <laughs> well, I mean, well, that's a question I'm suddenly rethinking. Does Dragon controls the right side of the body? Can he feel the right side of the penis? I'm going to guess he does. I'm feeling probably so, yeah. Uh, he does later on talk about how he wants to double team the, uh, what is the Duchess from, from uh, Downton Abbey. <laughs> Which I <laughs> doesn't be any other choice. And I, I think, wouldn't that be uh, Dame Maggie Smith? I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I never heard Hook. She could get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so the monarch goes off with copycat. And, uh, but uh, before Copycat can leave for the Monarch, he snaps his fingers and makes a duplicate of himself. So one of them stays behind while he goes off with the Monarch. And then, uh, yeah, he had some quote about, uh, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, which I guess is from Medea. Yeah, tragedy. tragedy. Yeah, uh, Jason and Medea, like, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you ever read it. I I read it when I was in sixth grade. I I remember uh, reading it in high school and then like we watched like a filmed like PBS production of it kind of thing. It was like a stage play that they filmed. My recollection was that she slaughtered their children and then she flew off in a flaming chariot and Jason's like, you killed our kids. And she's like, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And I do remember that there was, there was not a single instance of Tyler Perry in it though. Oh my lord. Yeah. Despite the name. So she was waiting on the balcony, like really mounting frustration, like, where's my husband? Why is he not here yet? And then Copycat comes up all smooth and is like, oh, anything going wrong? Gives her a martini. 
Yeah, she's, she's like, he's, he's, he's like, yeah, it's going wrong. It's almost midnight, and my husband still hasn't shown up yet. Like, oh, I don't know where he could be. Yeah, liar. Mm-hmm. We get a quick scene of uh, Brock and Dean going over Dean's application for uh, Stuyvesant University, where he's written his essay, and Brock says, just reads like a suicide note. <laughs> Everything I wrote was true. Yeah, but you gotta turn the gasp down, man. Sylvia Plath, you're gonna be selling yourself to these people. <laughs> then he teaches them how to do spin. He's like, instead of instead of saying that my dad dragged me all over the place, like, like the planet to every like hellhole corner, he's like, say that you're an experienced world traveler, <laughs> or that I went to school in a bed that I locked from the outside. No, you say you went to an exclusive university with like you know, and you had a perfect <laughs> attendance record. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> He's like, yeah, trust me. I work for the government. I, I know spin. You know, cool. I helped you with your essay. I'm done. And, and Dean's like, no, no, no. I still need to study for my SAT or whatever the exam is for entrance. He's like, great. When's that? Tomorrow morning. <sighs> yeah, you're making this real tough to be, you know, uh, helpful, Dean. <laughs> I, I helped you enough. I thought. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna help him a lot more before the day's done, Brock, because uh, downstairs in the lab, Rusty and Pete are looking for. Silver goo, magic puddle, or robot water in the search database. When Billy finally is like, you know, stop searching. I've glued all this glass shards back together. We're looking for VT-005-BB. And they find it's a Ventec Biobot Series 5. Some kind of nanobot. Rusty guessed closest. Yeah, with, with robot water. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Oh, yes. So, yeah, they decide it's, it's nanobots. Cool. And then we'll learn a little bit more about that later. But first, we cut back to Copycat's apartment where there's yes. a gorgeous walk in closet. With, yeah, tons of gorgeous suits and shoes. And uh, we can see the monarch is undressing and his costume is outside where Copycat is. He's been handing him his articles and Copycat just lined up all nicely outside. We'll learn shortly why. Uh, but yeah, the monarch, I love this too. He's like, kind of like, you know, oh, you really wear a suit. But I mean, I can say this. You're just genuinely handsome. So like, I'm sure whatever you wear looks great. And I love That's that it's funny. just like, he's like kind of confident in his sexuality. Like, I can tell a man to his face he's handsome and it can't, it can be not weird. Absolutely. And they said like one of the, the impetuses for writing this episode, writing this character is they wanted to have a character that the monarch could genuinely, sincerely kind of look up to or that they generally kind of like, like fanboy out over to a degree. Uh, because normally he's, he's too cool for all that kind of stuff. Like, or he, he acts that way. He's always just kind of rolling his eyes at, at all of this bullshit, uh, unless it's to do with Rusty. And it's nice to see him genuinely seeming to like this guy. And then, of course, next season, it's going to be completely the opposite because he, he's uh, going to have a bad taste in his mouth after this episode's uh, concerned with, with copyright. copyright. Yeah, that was, that was something they talked about in the making of, book. how uh, because these guys fuck with him tonight is where he kind of is like, okay, now, Guild, I don't like you. Now I'm going to do my best to take you all out so I can be on top. Fuck you for fucking with me. Yeah, and he already realized last episode, I can't do all this stuff as the Monarch because it's going to get back to the Guild when he was fighting with Redusa. And because he just discovered this, this Morpho Cave, the next episode, we're going to find out how he goes about fucking with the Guild and <laughs> completely changing his station. Yeah, for sure. Um we quickly see then, yeah, Copycat has put on the Monarch's costume, and uh, the Monarch, of course, is like, you know, oh, you're handsome in anything. Like that! You look great in that, too! Not even <laughs> acknowledging why he's suddenly wearing his Monarch costume. But uh, it's too late. Copycat shoots Monarch in the chest with his tranquilizer dart, and the Monarch is out for the count. 
Then we cut to yeah. Hatred sitting behind the security desk of Ventec Tower watching, what is it called? He's a little J-pad. He's, he's watching TV on. Um, in another episode, he's, he's watching that J-pad to see like uh, Warriana, like doing her Alexis Warrington, like her Ariana Huffington kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in this one, they don't actually show us on the J-pad, I don't think. I think he just like is watching it for a minute. And then, then uh, the copycat comes in dressed as the monarch doing this little jazzy dance tune and, and search Hadrian's like, all right, turn around Monarch, like get out of here. And yeah, it's, it, every time he snaps, he snaps eight times and then eight of him pop out because every time he snaps is when he duplicates himself. And yeah, yes. uh, he's like, get your, get your face out of here. It's like, oh, I'm gonna get some face, some work done in your face or something like that. He's like, wait, did you oh, have yeah. some work done on your oh, face? Yeah. Oh yes, did you have some work done on your face? No, but you're about to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, it said uh, Doc Hammer said that he really, really wanted Jackson Public to write this episode or to write the, uh, the dialogue for Copycat because they had just been hanging out in the Astro Base and and he was just making crack up with all of these Dean Martin esque lines that he was doing. And then he said when he wrote the script, he's like, "Where's all the dialogue you did? Where are all the jokes?" And then he made him put all that stuff back in nice. until he, of course, embodied it. We see Pete and Billy back in the lab playing what looks to be video games with the controller. I, I see your note here. I'm like, I totally agree. It looks very much like the Super Nintendo controller. Uh, yeah, it with looks this. like a modern video game controller. It looks no. like a controller. And uh, yeah, Rusty sees them like, you know, I, I thought you were doing some work. Hey, you are playing video games. And they're like, no, no, no. We're playing with uh, the nanobots. We found this program that's like uh, to educate us on how to use them. And they can do all kinds of stuff if you want. We can show you how it does it. Yeah, and they're saying it's like it's like a million little doctors inside your body. And what they don't realize, of course, is that it's not a tutorial. It is actually a means of controlling the nanobots, which we will see in um, the scene of Dean being tutored by by Brock. Uh, first, let's see. Uh, uh, Pete is is telling um, Rusty that they can they can cure an ulcer by using the nanobots, and it causes the Dean to just projectile vomit all over Brock's book. Yeah, and then uh, so immediately, like, okay, well, obviously you're not feeling too well, and then yeah, so then Pete's like, you know, oh, but but if you if you want to, you could also uh, enhance the body as opposed to just curing it. We can uh, you know push into his muscles and uh, hit his adrenaline, and you can make a guy super strong. And then we see Dean suddenly lifting Brock above his head with one hand. <laughs> yes, and it is his left hand because Dean is left-handed. Oh, I guess I didn't know he was left-handed officially. I just, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, Hank is right-handed, Dean is left-handed. Yeah, very much like... Uh, they, they, they just, it's one of the things, I don't know if they ever actually say it, but like every single time, Dean always is like writing everything with his left hand. Oh, I, I've never caught on to that. That's fantastic. They start talking about how the robots could be dangerous too. In the right hands, or in the wrong hands, you could just stop someone's heart. And then, of course, then they kill Dean. Uh, <laughs> And then, and then Brock is immediately trying to, to administer CPR, but then they do that remotely with an electrical shock, which blows Brock backwards. <laughs> like, yes. And then uh, someone's like, well, we could also use the nanobots to in- influence someone's brain. We can make them uh, smarter. You can make them speak Babylonian or uh, whatever the fuck. And Dean like, is speaking like... Directly to the internet. So, yeah. <laughs> so then, yeah, Dean's like speaking in t- like some ancient language and Brock thinks he's speaking in like demon tongues <laughs> <laughs> and and like the whole time this is happening it just it feels like the exorcist like the way that he's doing that for yes. brock it just feels like he's trying to exercise a possessed dean and has no idea that all this stuff is going down in the laboratory 
Because, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a scene in The Exorcist where, like, she, like, grabs her mother and, like, is, like, super strong and, like, almost, like, lifts her mother up off the floor. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then, yes, the projectile vomiting and the speaking in tongues, that's all very much Exorcist. And he's sitting in a bed as he's doing it, too, just like uh, Reagan and Exorcist. Thank God they don't have a crucifix in that room. I, I Yeah, well, I don't know where Gene would stuff it, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I know where he'd stuff it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, oh, like broadcast a festa dart dean. Mm-hmm. And then this is, yeah, we see Rusty's like, well, if the Nandabots are out and we are obviously, you know, controlling them right now, just call them right back to us. He's like, yeah, sure. And then they realize they can't. And we see the S yes, because Rusty has, oh, sorry, because Dean has been tranked. The bots are also like disabled. <laughs> oh, we also, we also left out the joke where, uh, where Pete was like, well, this is getting too highbrow. We could just make a guy totally crap himself. And that's when Rusty grabs the controller away from him. And you're like, all right, no, no, no more of this, guys. We start seeing Dean shit his pants. Oh, oh my God. Uh, elevator door of the, the penthouse opens. And that's when you see, like, all the copycats come out. And they just kind of, like, mo- like s- fuse back into one. You know, they yeah. Into <laughs> yeah, just kind of suck back into the single guy. And then, uh, yeah, so he kind of sees, you know, himself across the way on the balcony yeah. talking to Sheila and he's like looking at, at uh, through a telescope looking at Rusta. Oh, yeah. I can't talk right shot. now. The telescope shot is great. Yeah. Just like giving himself an odd like, hey, what's up? I'm right where I'm supposed to be and you are too. I see ya. <laughs> and then he totally sets it up by talking to Sheila just like, oh, what's your husband doing over there? He's not and supposed to be over there. She's still waiting for her husband. She's like, like where is he? He's like, he's over on the Venture, the Ventec Tower. What's he doing over there? He knows he's not supposed to be arching venture. And then, uh, yeah, he's got the telescope pointed directly at where he's standing. And he, where is he standing? He's urinating on Rusty's sofa because, and like, somehow he knows enough that that's the kind of petty shit that the monarch would do at Rusty's place. He, he wouldn't slash the furniture or set it on fire. No, he just would pee all over it. As we all know, the monarch used to dream of taking a whiz on several of Rusty's things. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so she attempts to call the monarch to confirm, you know, what are you doing? And he very obviously makes it clear that he's hanging up on her, ignoring the call. Yeah. And he did not just, oh, and she's so angry. I think this also dates the episode, because if I remember correctly, I think his phone is a Blackberry. It is, yes, a gold Blackberry to match his phone, or to match his costume. Yeah. And yeah, this is where Wide Whale comes out on the balcony, and then, like, as she runs inside, she's like, I, I need to go. Obviously, something's, my husband's behaving like an asshole. And then this is, yeah, where uh, Copycat kind of raises his glass to wide away, like, we did it. Or, like, I did it. I, that makes so much more sense. I, I had not even caught that before. I just thought that he was basically doing, like, a, a, I thought he was just doing a self-congratulatory thing. I didn't realize he was communicating to wide whale. Because I, I think the thing that I noticed most is just, like, Dr. Z, like, making the snarky comment about uh, the husband not caring about hygiene. Yeah, yeah. No, again, until they told me in the making of book, I never, I always just thought it was just Copycat doing his own thing because he wants to get in the council. He wanted to make the monarch look bad. But no, it was Wide Wheel saying, I'm not going to tell you why, but I want you to fuck with that guy. Do anything you can to make him look like a piece of shit in front of everyone and his wife. Where uh, we see Hank Hank is trying to leave. As, As Sheila walks out the door, he's like trying to leave, but Rocco shows up. Yeah, and he has to quickly dodge and he goes into uh, a bathroom. Yes, <laughs> we see some silhouettes. Yes, where uh, Red Mantle and Redusa are either about to have sex or are having sex. I, it's hard to tell. Yeah, because it's just silhouettes. But uh, yeah, 
and then Rocco kicks in the door. And, and uh, yeah, Reduso rushes out like, I don't do threesomes. And then, yes, Dragoon is like, you know, I was just trying to join in. <laughs> Dragoon's head is all tiny, like, because she, she shrunk it with her Reduso powers. Yes. Uh, and then Rocco kind of oh. gets distracted by them all kind of leaving. And this is where Hank then sneaks out of the room uh, behind his back. Yeah, yeah. We see Hank just kind of inch sideways, like crab walk <laughs> behind him. Um, oh yeah, we get back to the uh, the lab, and there's just like one of those little human moments that, that they love to do in the Venture Brothers, where it's just Pete and Billy arguing over the cord on the computer. Where he's like, "Did you jiggle the cord? I jiggled the cord." He's like, "You got to jiggle." <laughs> and uh, Rusty's getting a call on his J watch from Brock, who is just you know, Dean's possessed. Yeah, Dean's speaking uh, ancient Babylonian and lifting me off the ground and stuff. Did you say Babylonian? And he's like, Rusty kind of puts it together, like, okay. I know what happens like, here. Looks like it, it could be another language. That's not really the takeaway here, Doc. We, we need next. <laughs> uh, this is where uh, the monarch kind of wakes up from his tranquilizer. He's now back in his costume, lying in some bushes at the foot of Toffet Tower. And he's kind of like confused as to why he's there and how he got there to begin with. And uh, he sits up and sees that his wife is standing right above him, ready to just chastise the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah, she's absolutely furious, you know, and she's going off into a limousine that the guild has called for. He's chasing after, saying like, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened to me, just so casual. And she's like, how dare you address me like this after what you just pulled on me? And he's like, I, what did I do? Yeah, I, I ignored your phone call. I'm sorry. Yeah, and he's like, how could I have ignored your phone call? I didn't have my phone on me. I, my phone has been lost. And then all, of course, that's when his phone rings. With yeah. Calling him. 2021 saying, oh, Manolo, I got the Morphomobile working again. Like, not a good time. Uh, oh, wait. And then his wife drives off. He's like, okay, no, this is a good time. Come pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we see Serena in her bedroom watching a movie. And uh, you said, you told me this before we started recording. It was it a parody of some movie that like, but it's not yeah. a real movie. Yeah. It's like, it looks like The Nutty Professor with, with Jerry Lewis. But it's like a made-up movie that, that Jackson Public in the in the, the DVD commentary was like, it's called Follow That Bikini. <laughs> and then I guess that's part of it too. Because uh, um, in, the the mo- in The Night Professor, Jerry Lewis is basically doing an impression of Dean Martin when he becomes like Buddy Love. Buddy Love character, yeah. So, and but so, in that movie also, like the, the love interest character is, uh, is Jill St. John. And Jill St. John is one of the actresses that's in the orgy tape with the Blue Morpho and... and Jonas Venture Sr. So potentially the woman we see turn invisible in that little short clip is Jill St. John. Uh, I love Jill St. John, mostly because she's in Diamonds Are Forever, which is a very campy James Bond movie, but it's a really fun one and she's really fun in it. But yeah, oh, she's gorgeous, Jill St. John. So, so her and Stella Stevens are supposedly the women that Jonas Venture Sr. and, and the Blue Morpho slept with that the, the monarch discovers are not his mother. Yeah. Oh, it appears we have some villains attacking us and they have a growth ray. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my mommy. No, I'm, I'm 99% sure that it's Jill St. John and Stella Stevens. And they are. But uh, Serena's movie is interrupted by Hank falling on some patio furniture outside on her balcony because he's still trying to escape Rocco. She kind of uh, goes to talk to him. He's like, you know, hey, you're that kid from the park and who was peeping on me as I was swimming the other day. He's like, no, I was trying to rescue you. I didn't know you could breathe in the water. Super cool, by the way. <laughs> Super impressed. And then, and then in the background, while they're having this conversation, just, Serena, Serena, you in there? 
Serena, just Rocco nonstop, just just trying to, to uh, Serena, are you okay? Just getting just frustrated, more and more frantically desperate, trying to get a hold of her. Yeah, and then uh, Hank uh, stands kind of on the edge of the building, very uh, coyly, and I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's like you know something like, oh, I guess I'll have to go. Well, see you later, and he just casually jumps off, and uh, well, she says she's not impressed. Like like you're not even gonna like risk your life to have a date with me. I'm not say I'm very impressed. I can't say I'm very impressed. And he's like, okay. And then he just walks off and she's like, oh, oh mother Mary of God or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, Rocco finally kicks in the door like, you know, Serena, you okay? I was, I was knocking very loudly. You did not respond. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I, I absolutely love Mark Gagliardi as, as Rocco. It's amazing. There, there's, there's some interview he did or, or uh, like one of the things from maybe Dragon Con where they asked him where he came up with a voice for Rocco. And he said that it was that he, uh, he had seen some really like, like, like tough Italian guy who had um, been on the street and he was like, that had called out like, hey, Joey, how do you take your tea? And he's like, that, that's the guy that I'm doing. <laughs> super Guido guy who has this, this sensitive side to him. Yes, I love it. But yeah, so she kind of kicks him out of the room and he, he puts the door back up. And then uh, as she's kind of walking back out the balcony, Hank just rises up as he's standing on the GoPod once again. Uh, very much Back to the Future 2. It's 100%. so cool. It's just so smooth. And he's just like, he's lean back. He's got one arm over the armrest. He's got his leg up on the, on the dat. He's just trying to do like maximum cool guy look he possibly can. And it works. So do we have a date? Uh, it's just, Hank, you pulled it off. You know, you, you somehow like uh, uh, thwarted the venture curse on this occasion. I mean, it'll come back to you later, but for right now, you're not being a loser. No, no. I just suddenly am thinking about Back to the Future you're 2 now. a miracle. Two McFlies with the same gun. It's uh, from three, right? No, that's, that's from two. Oh, wait, that was, that was the Trump uh, biff? Yeah, Trump biff on top of the roof just uh, yeah, before Marty jumps off. George McFly, who wanted too much money. They couldn't put him in because Crispin Glover... Wanted too much money. He wanted too much money, and then he also uh, like said bad things about you know the end of the movie of the first one's bullshit. Like his life's better now just because he's rich. That's not a good message. <laughs> yeah, Crispin Glover's a unique individual. I like. Yeah, uh, well, my other podcast, Formative Films, we did something about Back to the Future, and my co-host said, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the way he phrased it because then I commented on it. it was it made me laugh. Uh, he's like, you know, I mean. Crispin Glover is kind of a, he's, he's a bit of an odd guy. And I said, yeah, that's a very fair statement to say he is an odd guy. <laughs> it's a very fair understatement. Yeah. Have like, you ever seen Ruben and Ed? No, I know he's done a bunch of like just strange films he's made over the years. I have no idea. I, I know one thing about one of them is like the entire cast is like people with mental disabilities. Ruben and Ed is about, uh, he's, he's a, a guy who basically lives at home with his mom kind of character, very sheltered, and he meets a guy played by Howard Hesseman who has just gone to one of these like, uh, like power of positive thinking kind of, of, of uh, conferences where they, you know, they, they give people a speech and they, they buy some kind of a method and he's trying to, like, the, uh, he, he's trying to befriend the, uh, the Crispin Glovin character. Crispin Glover's character's only interest is in finding a place to bury his cat that died and his cat has been in the freezer for i think a year or two and they go driving around in the desert trying to find a place to bury his cat and while while howard hessman's trying to sell him on this like kind of personality system the entire time it's a weird weird movie 
And there's a dream sequence in it where Crispin Glover's wearing gigantic platform shoes and the cat is driving a jet ski. That sounds like a scene enough that I would now want to watch that movie. When you, when you said Howard Hesman, I was like, oh, I, I like Howard Hesman. Now I, now I want to see that. But now that he's like, the right? giant platform, yeah, head of the class, and he's oh, in blue, yes, and he's in uh, this next week's episode of Formative Films, Flight of the Navigator. He's the scientist in Flight of the Navigator. Yes! I love Flight of the Navigator. Maybe from the Floridian. I don't know. Now, 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 David, what happened after you fell into the ravine? Just tell me what happened. There was a flash of light and he came out and all of a sudden it was 10 years later, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. So basically after Hank gets his uh, little, do we have a dateline? It's cut to credits. And then the post-credit scene, we see Dean uh, having the uh, you know troublesome task here of having to urinate out the nanobots, which oh. uh, I'm sure feels like passing kidney stones. It must hurt Absolutely. like hell. And I, I love how, how Rusty is, is just trying to downplay the whole thing. Like, like you, know, you have a line there where he's like, Don't fight it, boy. Your body is simply trying to pass its residual nanobots through your urethra. Perfectly natural. Of course, perfectly natural. <laughs> <laughs> oh, son, that's not all you passed. Because he got into Stuyvesant University. Hooray. And then, yeah. Yeah, they, they used the nanobots to improve his uh, mind capacity while he took that test, just to be like, yeah, so these bots do work in that way. Hmm. I, I'm wondering, it says they can hook him up to the internet. Did they just give him the answers, or were they able to look up all the answers really quickly? Or, or... I, I imagine, like... Was it just like, the, I know the actual key, answer key? Like, Oh, I, I don't know. I, I figured it was just, that, like, because his the nanobots were, like, active to the internet, he just knew everything, is how I figured it. Yeah, it could be, too. Which is weird that Dean wouldn't want to retain them then, but I guess they've already made enough repairs. They fixed his stomach. They Well, and I mean, my guess is they didn't tell Dean until after all this was done, he had the bots in him. Like, oh, Dean, let, why don't we pee out those bots? Don't, don't tell him he didn't pass his test on, on his own. Why does Dean even want to remove them from his body if they could continue to, to benefit him? Maybe it's just that his dad wants them back to sell them or something. That's kind of my thought. Is he, Rusty is like, uh, let me get those back because those are pretty cool. Yeah, actually, could be useful. <laughs> uh, and then uh, lastly, we get uh, Pete and uh, Billy doing a little high five with the giant robot. <laughs> I love Billy always wants a high five. Most he people love, deny it. He, he loves a high five. High five! <laughs> yeah, they, they have faked their first miracle, and now we get the title of the episode. Faking miracles. A couple other notes from the book I had here. Doc was talking about how uh, 21 returning to the monarch was just as good for the monarch as it was for 21, how 21 has always felt he should be number two to a guy like Robin to Batman or Kano to Blue Morpho, and how while the monarch is at his lowest this season, uh, he really needed 21 to keep him sane as he's going through these lows, but just being that positive, yeah, let's do it, boss. Come on, you and me, man, let's do it for sure. Even when it gets to be like, you know, kill these people. I don't really want to kill people, but... I just want to really keep you happy. So yes, 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 boss. I, I will kill him because you really need me to do it for you. I think we see that throughout the entire series is that as much as people like 21 and 24 as best friends and they were great together, it seemed like 24 kind of held 21 back because they kept each other in this comfort zone. And 21 had to push himself after he lost his best friend. And after he improved upon himself for two seasons, he helps the monarch. And, and to the monarch's credit, even though a lot of it is based in delusion, he has his loyalty to 21 throughout that entire time, where after he becomes Teuton 21, the monarch just always sees him as my most loyal man, and nothing can dissuade him like, or persuade him otherwise. Uh, I don't have any of the notes. Did you have any final official thoughts before we wrap things up? 
No, I think we've done a pretty thorough job with this episode. I had a lot of fun talking about it. I did too. And again, thank you so much for sharing your notes. I was like, oh, I got a week off this week. Thank God. So thank you for that. Hey, thanks for having me on. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I get to come back and talk about uh, Arrears and Science next time. It's going to be a good time, Arrears and Science. It's all going to come together in that episode. This is uh, kind of the introduction of the, the Blue Morpho. And that one is kind of uh, bringing all the Blue Morpho mythology to a close. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you wanted to promote before we uh, let you go? Uh, you can look at my Instagram, uh, Malcolm Fitzcarraldo. And if you guys want to, if you're in the Florida area, I run an annual film festival called the Miami Underground Film Festival. You can check that out by just looking for those terms. Fantastic. Uh, but that's it for this week. So be sure to follow us on Instagram at GoTeamVenturePod and subscribe to Go Team Venture on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts for new episodes each Tuesday. And if you like the show, please rate and review where you can. That way we can get more listeners like yourself. And be sure to tune in for next week's episode, Rapacity in Blue. And as always, Go Team Venture! Go Team Venture!